0: Um, my name is Caleb. I am the student pastor here. If you are new, we are so uh, thankful and, and um, glad to be the place where you choose to come to hang out. If you know what the harbor is supposed to be, sometimes I try to tell this regularly when I'm, when I'm up here. Um, what the harbor is supposed to be is it's supposed to be a place of rest. It's supposed to be a place where you can come and you can be exactly who God made you to be uh, and you you don't have to put on any kind of shell, you don't have to put on any kind of act, that you truly can, can be you, you can let your guard down and know that this is a place where, uh, hopefully, judgment won't happen. That this is a place where, where we are okay being awkward, we're okay uh, laughing at our own mistakes, we're, we're okay um, seeking out together who Jesus has made us to be. It's also a place of refocus, where we want to know what God's planned for us for us is. And we want to refocus our life around that. That's a place of risk where we want to leave here following God's plan and, and saying, man, I'll risk it all for you, Jesus, because I trust that you are holding my life in your hand and knowing that you can always come back here and find rest and find refocus to then go out and risk it all for him again. So that's what this is supposed to be. That's what my heart is. That is, is what I believe that the Lord would have this place to be. And so I'm just thankful you're here. I hope that's what you find tonight. I hope that's what we find during the paint war. I hope that's what you find here at River Oak Church. That that is that is our heart to live every day, captivated and changed by Jesus. And so, anyway, my name's Caleb, and that's my statement. Um, I I feel like I missed you guys. I haven't been up here in a while. We've had some interns speak to you guys, uh, which they have done a great job. Just to clear the air, Austin did not get fired. Just so you know that. Someone's like, well, I thought he was definitely getting fired. No, he was not getting fired. He actually has to go back to school to finish his degree because education is a good thing. And so that is where he is at. He is back at Liberty um, finishing up his degree. And he has, he is telling me, he's like, man, I just want to come back and I don't even have to have a job. I just want to come back and hang out with the River Oak youth because I love them. And so y'all made a huge impression on his life and on his heart. And so he'll probably, you'll see him again. I'm sure you'll see him again. Cool? All right. Second thing. Lastly, what I got for you is your phone. This is a great time for you to put it on vibrate, for me to put mine on vibrate or silent. Um, Get it out of a place where it can be a distraction to you. I like to throw mine there. So even if you try to mass text me, which some of you think that's hilarious, while I speak, that it won't go off. So, boom. Um, All right, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to get going. God, I thank you for this time together. I thank you for these students and and all that you're doing tonight, all that you will do tonight, Lord, all that you're doing in their lives. Uh, Lord, the way that you have worked this summer, uh, the way uh, that that you have impacted and encountered students, Lord, the way that they have seen... uh, you at work and seeing how real you are, God. Lord, we are in awe of you and in awe of your redeeming power. Lord, I ask that you'd be with us tonight, that you'd speak through me, that your words would be the words that are spoken out. God, it would just be simply my voice, and Lord, that you would limit distractions, that you would increase focus, that we would understand what you have for us. We love you. And I ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going through the series. We're going through the series, if you didn't catch it by the quick little video, called He Is, that in Matthew 16, 15, which is that, that kind of the theme verse, Jesus approaches his disciples and he says, hey, who do the people say I am? And, and they start saying, well, you're a prophet, some say, and, and others say, like, you're a great teacher. And he goes, okay, great, great, but, but who do you say I am? And Peter answered, he said, man, you're the son of the living God. He says, man, that's right, on this rock, I I will build my church. But this is an important question to answer. Who do you say he is? Who do you say Jesus is? And so we're going to kind of dive into that, just one aspect of who Jesus claims to be and who Jesus is um, in Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew 7, I encourage you to bring a Bible. If you don't have a Bible Uh, like you just never have owned one or your last Bible that you got, you're like six and it's like the picture Bible. And you're like, man, that's hard to read because it's pictures. We have Bibles for you. So please, there's on the back table, I think there's three or four sitting there right now. Take a Bible. Don't take one and then lose it and take another one and lose it. Like take one and keep it uh, so we don't have to keep replenishing the same person with the Bible. But we have Bibles for you. So if you ever need a Bible, you want to start diving in. We also have... Um, devotionals for you so you can kind of get in on You're going to get them right now. Great, that's excitement. Um, we also have devotionals for you that can walk you through kind of your time with the Lord. Wow, are you kidding me? Oh, they are getting Bibles. Wow, okay. That was a joke. I definitely thought they're going to pee. All right, so Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on solid rock. So what you need to know about Matthew 7 real quick is that he is just coming off of this thing he called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, if you look in in chapter five, it starts, and Jesus just starts telling these people who are new believers, who are new to following him, he says, hey, here is what it looks like to walk a godly lifestyle out. Here's what it looks like to really walk um, in my footsteps, to be pleasing to the Lord. Like, here's the, the life that, that God is really desiring for you to have. And he gives, like, all these things. and talking about marriage and money and, and lust and, and all of this, like, this whole list of, like, hey, here, here's what is pleasing to the Lord. And so if you're in here, you're a new Christian, you, you experienced Jesus this summer that's a good place to kind of read and, and kind of look at, it. starting in, in Matthew chapter 5. Well, in Matthew chapter 7, he's finishing it up. He's finishing the sermon up. And so he says, Anyone who listens to my teachings, all the things I've just said, and he follows it. He says, He's like a, a wise person who builds his house on solid rock. What he's saying here. He says, anyone who believes what I'm saying and then acts on it. It's kind of an interesting statement because what you need to know about belief is that belief always produces action. Your belief system always produces action. What you believe about any person, what you believe about anything, what you believe about yourself determines your next action. If you believe you're good at a sport, you're gonna play the sport. If you believe you're terrible at it, you're not even going to try. And I know that's a fact because I'm like, hey, you want to play nine square? You're like, "Ah, I'm terrible. Like, yeah, okay, you believe you're terrible, so you're never going to try and get better. Plus, everyone's always terrible at that game. But your belief always produces action. If I believe that person is a terrible person, well, I'm going to act terribly to them. If I believe they are a hot person, well, then I'm going to act like they're a hot person. (laughs) Right, Nolan? That's right. That's my wife. Okay. Um, just to clear that out. Right? If, if I believe... Guys, like, you guys are so guilty of that, right? You're like, oh she gorgeous. You, like, give everything else up. Like, everything. Like, if you believe something about a person, or about anything, it always produces action. And the same is with Jesus. He's saying those who believe to the point of action and then follow through with that action are like wise people who build their house on the rock. (laughs) This is what it says about it. It says, though the rain comes in torrents, meaning storms, and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock or on solid rock. He says, but anyone, anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds their house on the sand, when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. He gives two types of people here. He says, those who hear my word and believe it and allow it to change their action based on their new belief system about Jesus... He says, you're beginning to build your house on a solid foundation that when storms come, which inevitably will come, people will suffer. You will get sick. Things you will lose, like unexpectedly, relationships will end, sports will end. Like things get hard. Life is hard. My dad, like super compassionate, loving person. That's totally sarcastic. Great man, but his statement is life is hard and then you die. I'm like, well, that's pleasant, Dad. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks. But truthfully, life is hard. He says, but when the storms come, those who listen to my word and follow it and believe it, don't get knocked down. Their identity doesn't waver. Their value doesn't waver. Who they are doesn't change. Their joy isn't affected because their house is built on a solid rock, a rock that's not based on this world and how good it's going. He says, but those that listen and then disobey and begin to build their house on the promises of the world, they say, man, you're building on sand, that when rain comes and when the storm comes, the sand washes out. It's foolishness and your house collapses. (laughs) I want to tell you a little bit about my testimony. Uh, some of you, actually a lot of you in here probably have never heard about how I came to faith and, and really my life. What you know is my dad is, loving and compassionate as he is, is actually a pastor, and <clears throat> he, he, I've always been a pastor's kid. He's been a pastor since I can remember. When I was very young, he pastored a deaf church, and he's not deaf, but he can sign, and so he would preach and sign. And so I learned sign language, and then I stopped hanging around deaf people, and I lost it all. Um, So just know that. But I've always been a pastor's kid, always been at church, always grown up in the church, set in seats in youth groups much like you are sitting in right now. (laughs) When I was seven years old, I was sitting in, like, youth group for elementary school kids called Awanas, and this guy, Ray Pereira, stood up front, and he said, hey, does anyone want to come to know Jesus, place your faith in Jesus tonight? I have an older brother and a younger sister. Both of them had prayed to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior at other times. And I was the one that was kind of holding out. And my mom, like anytime there's any kind of invitation, she was around, she's like, Caleb, go ahead, get up there. I'm like, mom, stop pushing me, right? And and so this night I was like, Ray Pereira said that and I remembered it and I did not get up because I was like, heck no, I ain't getting in front of of all them people. And then I went home and laying in my bed, as my mom was kind of tucking me in, I said, "Mom, I want to know Jesus." <clears throat> I said, "But please don't tell my dad." And she's like, "Why?" And I was like, "Cause he makes everything a big deal." <clears throat> and in that night, I prayed. I, I truly believe that I prayed to receive Jesus Christ. Fast forward a few years to sixth grade. I show up first day of sixth grade, and I'm sitting next to a guy named Mikey Wilson, and I drop an f bomb. And Mikey says, dude, you've changed. I said, what do you mean? He's like, you're cool now. You used to be kind of nerdy. And I was like, well, that was hurtful. Okay, first off. But second off, all right. And in sixth grade, I decided that I was no longer the church kid. I was no longer the good kid, but I was the kid that said cuss words, right? I joined, there's this guy, Mario, who was starting a gang in the sixth grade, I, I almost joined, I told him I, I almost joined, uh, I didn't because I think it was real, he may actually be a gang member today, um, it was real, I thought I was going to get jumped in and I didn't want to be jumped in, uh, but, but I decided to change, I decided to live a life that, that was not, I decided to start building my house on, on sand and not the solid foundation of Jesus, uh, and, and then that happened through 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, where, where I would go to church on Wednesdays. On Sunday mornings, I would wake up, um, like not really remembering what happened the night before sometimes, and, and I would end up sitting in church and every seat was comfortable because I was so tired. So I kind of liked it. I was like, oh yes, this is great. Just like, let me sit down. And, and I started to chase um, adrenaline, That anything to get my adrenaline pumping, like we did a lot of vandalism, we did a lot of things that that were like just I'm I'm not super proud of. That I began to really pursue this life that that I thought would bring me some kind of value and and would bring me um, some kind of notoriety that would bring me like some kind of, of satisfaction. And so I began to party and I began to do a lot of things while going on mission trips in the summer, while going to youth group every Wednesday night, while being at church every Sunday morning, while being in a small group every Sunday afternoon, that I was the classic. I can memorize every Bible verse and every Bible answer, but yet I party with all those other dudes. And I began to bring my friends that I party with on Friday to church on Wednesday, uh, just because they're my friends. I was like, yo, y'all want to come hang out? Like, there's some pretty girls there, right? And so we would go hang out, and then we'd party and hang out and party and hang out and party. The thing about living that way, the thing about living that way was that was a false commitment I I was having to Jesus, that I was not living in a, a true a true relationship with Jesus. That my word said, I'm a follower, and my heart said, I'm crying out to the world. That Jesus said, you're mine, and I was giving myself to the world. Don't you hear that? The reason I share this with you is because I know there's some of you in this room that are the exact same way. That Jesus says, hey, you're mine. I died for you, and yet... You continually give yourself to the world. That you continually allow the world to have its way with you. That you continually run to it and fight against the pulling Jesus has on your heart. I remember some of you have heard this story that when I was my freshman year of college, I was partying at this kid's house and we'd go every weekend party at this kid's house. And I remember standing in the bathroom. I hated ever having to go into the bathroom because I'd stand in the bathroom and we'd be quiet. It'd be quiet. And I would hear the Holy Spirit's conviction on my heart say, Caleb, what are you doing here? I have better things for you. And I would like wash my hands. I'd get out of that bathroom as fast as possible. We'd get back to the music, get back to the noise, get back to the people. Because I was running from that commitment. I was running from what Jesus had had done in my heart when I was seven years old. I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to trust it. I didn't want to believe it. I wanted to continue to build my house on the sand. The thing about a false commitment is it only lasts until real trial comes. That that way of living will only sustain you until something bigger than what you can handle comes along. That it wasn't but a year or two after that moment where I'm standing in the bathroom and I keep hearing the Lord's voice that I get a phone call from my friend that one of my best friends and one of my other friends both died at the same time riding motorcycles and drinking. And they both hit the side of an 18-wheeler, died instantly, both going over 100 miles an hour. I don't know what they were doing or why they were doing that, And what hits me is that this is a kid that went to church with me every Wednesday night. This is a kid that saw my family pray together. This is a kid that I had every opportunity to live out the promises of Jesus in my life. Yet I chose the world. Not one time did I model how real and how true Jesus was. To this day, I have no idea where he sits eternally, that I have no idea on, on where his family is at. that thankfully, I'm covered by the grace of Jesus, and that God is much bigger than my mistakes. And so I don't have to live with this guilt as if his eternity was in my hand but I do live with the, the, the understanding that I lived a false life in front of him. That false commitment only lasts, that this two-faced lie only lasts until until real trial comes. Trial that's bigger than what you can handle on your own. That I built my house. I was building my house in the sand. Real trial came in and it knocked it down. That the Lord took it. For those of you who have had an experience this summer with the Lord, that whether it was at camp or whether it was wherever, <clears throat> that likely this is about the time in your life where you are beginning to go back to old habits. That this is the time in your life, students, where where you are starting to see school, you're you're in the future, you know that, that your friends are coming back that may not influence you in the right way, that you know opportunity is coming back to meet with people that may not influence you in the right way, that you know that sports are coming back where you find your identity and that's gonna, you're gonna be able to live through that. That there's, There's things that are happening. And you've got to understand where you're building your house. You need to understand where that road leads. I love the, the imagery that he puts in here some of our hearts are not motivated. We're inspired by God's love and, and your love for God. And if you're building your house in the sand, here's what you need to know about sand. is one, it's unstable. Two, it's also corrosive. The sand causes rust. It causes chips. It causes deterioration. We don't often see that until the storm hits. And then we realize how broken we are. Then we realize how how lost we are. That we realize that we heard God's word, we followed something different, it didn't pay off like we thought it would. It's not an instant reveal. You don't see it right away until that storm comes so what Jesus is telling his believers, Jesus is telling people here in his scripture is not something to cause you to feel guilt. I know that some of you are in here, you're like, man, this is like a guilt. I'm, I'm, I'm drowning in my guilt right now that I feel like a terrible person, that I'm building my house on the wrong thing. Jesus didn't write to these people to say, hey, I hope you feel guilty about what you're about to do or what you have done. He didn't do that. He wrote this to people so that he would preserve life. See, Jesus is the author of life. And he says, man, I want you to know where life comes from and how you find life. And I want you to know where life isn't. Where destruction happens. He says, You need to understand the lies that the world has. The lies about relationships, the lies about sports, the lies about popularity or physical fitness. That they're not rocks that can be trusted. Don't you hear that? They're not rocks that can be trusted. They're unstable. They end. They're sand. Jesus says to those who are listening, I want you to hear this. He says, listen to me and my teaching and follow. He says, believe to the point of action. Build your life on the solid rock of Jesus. That's a big promise. That's a a big thing he's he's saying. And here, what's really like reassuring is the people's reaction. He's saying, "I, I want you to build your rock I want you to build your foundation on this rock. It's the rock that cries out that you're valuable. It's the rock that cries out about your identity. It's the rock that cries out that says you're loved. Some of you in here don't have anywhere else or anyone else that's crying out that to you. And Jesus says, no, I want you to build your life. I want you to build your house on me and in me and through me. By faith, And I want you to know that I am the rock that cries out continually about how much you're loved. I'm the rock that cries out and says, man, you are so valuable. I'm the rock that cries out and says, you are my son and you are my daughter. And the people, this is the way they respond. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the, religious, the teachers of the religious law. So, these people are standing there and they're hearing this and they've heard this whole sermon. And when he finishes, it says they're just jaw dropped. What? In awe. They said because he did not teach like regular teachers, but instead he taught with real authority. He didn't say, I'm the guy reading the scroll to you about a God who is to come or or who will do these things. He says, I am that God and I do provide that rock and that solid foundation. I'm here to tell you you're valuable and that you're loved and that I, I, I died so that you may be saved. Or in this case, that I will die so that you may be saved. He taught with authority. And when you read Jesus' words, it's not something that could have happened or might happen or someone else did. He says, No, here is who I am. What I hope you walk away with, and what I want to remind you tonight, is that, that Jesus is the foundation that doesn't move. It's simple. That when you find yourself at a place in life today or tomorrow or next week, and you're saying, man, things feel unstable, that you would run to Jesus, that you would cry out to Jesus, that you would give your life to Jesus, remembering that Jesus claims it to promise and, and is the foundation that doesn't move, that doesn't shift under your feet, that doesn't lie or abandon you. He's not a hollow shell, but he's something you can stand firm on that can carry the weight of your guilt and of your shame. He's the one that offers forgiveness that that cleanses your sins. The one that died for you because he said, I love you. The one that defeated death. He is the foundation that doesn't move. I'm just asking you to close your eyes. I'm going to read a verse and and I just want you to think about the promise that Jesus offers us. The band's going to going to come up and and they're going to lead us in worship. Just by the way, when he says, hey, y'all can come up forward and worship and like seven of you do. That's awesome, you seven. The rest of you, you should come up and worship the God who says I'm the solid foundation when the world falls out beneath you. That's an exciting thing. We should be eager about that. With every eye closed, every head bowed, I just want you to hear the promise. This is Matthew 7, 7 through 8. I just read to you Matthew 7, 24. So right before what I just read to you, this is what Jesus says. He says, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks, receive, and everyone who seeks, finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open." Skip down to verse 11. He says, So if you, sinful people, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? What Jesus is saying, He says, I don't really care what you have done. I don't care where you're coming from. I want you to know that doesn't make a difference to how much I love you. He said, If you need forgiveness, Then ask. If you want to find me, then seek me. If you want to know my will for your life, then knock and the door will be open. I will answer. That if you cry out, I will answer. That if we as sinful people know how to do good things for one another, How much more does our Father in heaven who is perfect, how much more will He give us? How much more will He give us good gifts when we ask Him? He's a God who says if you're on the sand move to the rock I got a place for you. Solid foundation place where there's no more shame and no, no more guilt that I've died for that. I've made you clean. I see you as perfect. If you will place your faith in me, if you will believe to the point of action and build your house on this rock, not just words, but a true lifestyle change. He says, man, and I don't fail. I am the solid rock. I don't know where you are tonight. But if you need Jesus, I encourage you, you would ask. You would spend some time crying out to the one who died for your salvation. That you would find someone to talk to that if you need forgiveness if you know you're like man I had an experience with the Lord and now I've kind of slipped back into what I was doing or where I was going because man seek forgiveness and find it ask and find it and the author of life God thank you so much for this time together God thank you for your word and your truth and the rock your salvation